What is up, everybody? Welcome to Cryptids Decrypted. Before we get to the show, we're not sponsored, but I wanted to plug a little little thing called Aberrant Literature. Aberrant Literature is an independent book publishing house. They publish my work as well as a few other authors, and I want to talk about some of the amazing stuff that they have coming out that's actually not mine. So recently, they released The Ghost in the Grass. This is the first book from M.T. Roberts. Uh, it is... I'll just read the description. After receiving a letter from a once-dear but now-estranged colleague, Dr. Manswell travels to the Karoo of South Africa. With scars of the Boer War still evident and his colleague missing, Manswell is plummeted into a world of bureaucracy and decay. As a series of unnerving clues and coincidences point to centuries-old conspiracy, Manswell is compelled to descend a mysterious gaping hole in pursuit of his sanity. It's not a metaphorical gaping hole, it's a literal gaping hole, okay, in the South African Serengeti. I cannot wait to start this one. I literally just got my copy today. Uh, I also want to plug Jason Peters himself has a book called Preconscious. It's a really fun sort of like time-bending, genre-bending sci-fi novel uh, where a guy is traveling between different planes of existence and figuring out existential crises. It's, it's pretty great. Listen, just check out Aberrant Literature. You can search Aberrant Literature on Amazon or, you know, the internet or anywhere else, and you're going to find a ton of great content, short fiction collections, all sorts of stuff. I really appreciate what they've done for me and my writing. And I think that you're going to dig some of the stuff you find there. It's not stuff you're going to find at a traditional publishing house. So please go check it out and, uh, you know, enjoy this episode of Cinema Decrypted. You know, I hope you like it because we're talking tremors. All right. So this is episode probably six i think it's six of uh season three <clears throat> cryptids decrypted where we are officially off the rails today we are talking about the movie tremors because of the tie-in to the mongolian death worm myth that we did an episode i think three episodes back now i can't keep track man time's a flat circle uh today we have a special guest the host of esoterica cinema also uh my publisher uh, Jason Peters. He's an amazing guy. He definitely knows film. Welcome. Thanks, dude. I'm really looking forward to getting down on this. Tremors is actually a film that has like a lot of uh, meaning to me because like I was actually somebody that was terrified of horror movies when I was a kid to the point that like I wouldn't watch them if they were rated R. But every now and then you get a PG-13 horror movie and this was right up my alley. So uh, yeah, I feasted on this one when I was younger. Yeah, honestly, I was surprised to find it was a PG-13 movie. But before we get into that, I almost forgot. Of course, the other co-host of Cryptids Decrypted, John. John, you are here. Hello. Hi, guys. Yeah, um, I'm excited to talk about not just the first Tremors, but two, three, four, five, six. Uh, and I tried to explain made... that you didn't have to watch all seven, but like, you, you oh. can't stop. You can't stop this guy. He's it a machine. A Was it a a journey of uh, diminished returns? No, I mean, hey, five and six were better than uh, Leprechaun, Boys in the Hood, and Boys in the Hood 2. I was about to ask, how did it compare to you watching the Leprechaun series for our last episode? (laughs) Okay, but Leprechaun in the Hood, to be fair, was like one of the most fun times I've ever had with my friends. Just it's like one having of the highest rated movies like, out of that series. Yeah, I think it was a five on Rotten Tomatoes, higher than the four. There you go. Do you guys yep. ever listen to How Did This Get Made? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They I did an amazing podcast. Leprechaun in the Hood episode. Go back and listen to it if you Oh haven't. my god. Yeah, I will go back to that after especially after our last episode on Leprechauns, because I honestly think that was the most fun part of that was discussing those movies. Because just wild. Absolutely wild. <laughs> but leaving 
leaving leprechauns behind because you know honestly i never thought we'd do an episode on them and uh they've just they've occupied too much space in my mind we're going back to the mongolian death worm uh which was a myth that i thought would be really cool it was actually like a little boring uh <laughs> but just a little recap before we get into tremors the mongolian death worm of course comes from mongolia uh, it is a long-standing myth that's been around for hundreds of years and was kind of popularized, you know, not surprisingly, in the uh, in the 90s is when it kind of came back to resurgence, but it had been around long before that. And it is about a worm that goes underneath the ground and kills people instantly with either shock or spitting poison, depending on who you ask. It's about the length of, uh, or the width of a man's arm and about five feet in length. And a bright red, like, intestine, I guess, because the intestine, some intestine was red. I think it was camel intestine. A cow's intestine. It looks like a cow's Cow's intestine. intestine. Yeah. So that's that's the myth that theoretically Tremors is based on. Uh, But let's get into it, because, I mean, this is... uh, this is a film I watched as a kid, and I have, I have a, I don't know, I have a strong memory of Tremors, and this is the first time I've gone back to it since I was, like, 12. Um, for those who don't know, so the description of Tremors, it's uh, natives of a small, isolated town defend themselves against strange underground creatures which are killing them one by one. Uh, it is made by Ron Underwood, who also directed Mighty Joe Young and The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Uh, the writers... Did this, uh, helped with four out of six other Tremors movies and also made Wild Wild West. So, okay. you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pedigree here. Yeah, As definitely. we need to point out, Wild Wild West, the movie Will Smith turned down the Matrix for. I feel yep. like we point wow. that out at least three times a season. I can't, I can't mention Wild Wild West without him talking about him turning down the Matrix. Cause just what the hell? Like, okay. But because, he because he did, we're fortunate enough to have the song from the movie. The Wild Wild West. I, that is a good the point. The Wild Wild West. And I mean, we're fortunate enough to have Keanu Reeves. Who knows if his career <laughs> would have taken off as much as it did. Um, he, he's good, but who knows? But so let's talk about this movie. It opens with uh, Kevin Baking pissing off a uh, pissing off a cliff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some conversations about bologna and beans for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And then we get right into uh, some pretty some pretty gruesome worm murdering. Uh like I, I I don't even know how to describe the opening of this film. It 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 feels like it's at a weird place in '90s cinema where it's like it came out in 1990, so it's it's before Jurassic Park. It's right before this watershed moment for sci-fi in general. <laughs> it's just I don't know. A lot of it feels bad. A lot yeah, of it's, it. it's a B-list horror movie, and I mean it, it starts with Kevin Bacon waxing and waning about what he's looking for in a girl. It's there's this, you know, nerdy college girl who just came to do the seismology readings. And of course, she's the one who figures out that there's something afoot here. And well, yeah, like, you know, that, that I thought that was so funny, too. It's like that's they're just like, oh, the seismologist starts detecting uh, strange readings on her equipment. They never say. And I, I should mention, too, we're going to get into spoilers here. So if you haven't seen Tremors, <laughs> like, you know, you had you had you 30, 30 years, years. <laughs> you had 30 years. Uh, it's actually like almost. I, I don't know when it came out, but 30 year anniversary of Tremors this year. Yeah. Well, there's, so let, let's just back up here one second, though. OK, so here's one thing that I want to say about this movie when it opens. OK, which is that this movie does a unique thing in that it's one of the rare horror comedies. OK, and how much you like whether or not it's 
the scares or the laughs, you know, that's going to depend on your style of humor, what you're looking for. It's not an overly gory film. So if you're one of those people where, you know, you want everything to be like dead alive, like that's not what this movie is about. And the humor is admittedly pretty, you know, on the, the corny, cheesy side of things, you know. Um, but the one thing that I will say is that I, I like early on, um, I like that this movie does actually take the time to characterize its characters because most horror movies, you know, they're just, uh, they're, they're just there to be picked off. Right. And, you know, say what you will about them. Even the, the sort of smaller characters get their time, but I like the sort of way that it opens with Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward, who I believe are Valentine and Earl, right? Val and Earl. That's what they call him. Yeah. Um, you know, and then they have the little thing where he's like, yeah, it's your turn to make breakfast. No, it's your turn. Bullshit. I made it yesterday. Blah, 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 blah. Um, also to this day, uh, when, when he tells him that he made eggs yesterday, he, there's a specific way. He says, I made eggs over easy. There's like this way Fred Ward delivers it. And to this day, every single time I'm in a restaurant and I order eggs over easy, I hear Fred Ward in my head saying that in his very particular way over easy before he lights a cigarette. You know, it's funny. Fred Ward, I think, is my favorite part of this movie. Yeah, like, he's, very, he's very distinctive. He actually reminds me of. Uh, so as I was watching this, I couldn't help but cast the remake in my head. Uh, so uh, I, I, I cast him as John Bernthal. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because yes. He's, totally. Because wow, he's just like he, he looks like older John Bernthal. He totally does. Uh, and I was just like, I, I wondered if they were related. Like I went down a rabbit hole. I was like, are you distantly related? Because you guys are very similar. Yeah, that's crazy. But I feel like I feel like Bernthal's intense though, right? Bernthal would not be able to bring the humor. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I feel like Bernthal could be funny. You, and you don't know. Bernthal, yeah, I mean, but yeah. Like, one of the graboids all on his own. He'd just rip it from the ground. That yeah, he'd, pun- he'd be the Punisher. He'd be the guy who's who's in the bunker later in the movie. Uh, but we'll get to him. Uh, just like a couple of strange things. I was like, who stores beer in a toilet? I thought that was <laughs> like they're just sitting there crushing cold snacks out of, out of a toilet at a construction site. I do kind of like this idea that they're they're trying to get out of town. Like, but this is something they've done so many times before. And so they're, you know, they're construction or I guess like really jack of all trades they do all sorts of jobs odd jobs they just they look for odd jobs in a town of 14 exactly that's what i was gonna say not a lot of income opportunities in a town of 14 well it can support a seismologist all right in science (laughs) (laughs) no it's government funding though see yeah i was gonna say she comes from she comes from msu um (laughs) according to one of the stamps on the side of the seismology equipment and the only thing I could think of was like Michigan State University or Mississippi State University. So Montana State. It's in like Texas. Oh, Montana State. Yeah. 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 Hill, hills of Montana. Right. It does. It does look like it could take place in Montana. I was going to ask, like, is are we thinking this is the Southwest? Are we thinking it's the Great Plains? Like they never say where in the country it is. I don't know. I was yeah. strong Dakota vibes. Uh- <laughs> sure. Why not? But, you know, like, you know, didn't you care too know. much. They're like, people are here for the giant worm monster. What the hell do they care if it's North or South Dakota? Yeah. But, you know, it is nice that they did still give us some backstory, even though we were all there for the giant worm. Uh, like, you know, they did. They did try. And the humor is pretty good. But something that struck me is just like the the killings in this movie are pretty brutal. Yeah. For like a, for a comedy in a PG-13. There's like people begging for their life. As they're eaten alive by worms. <laughs> and like, there's, 
I, I don't know. There was one scene in particular that was just very uncomfortable with like how long the, but I guess that's the second kill. So these guys are on their way out of town and they're going to leave for good. They're going to make their way to what's the town? Bigsby. Bigsby. Mm-hmm. Bigsby. Uh, and then they get drawn back in by a job that offers a uh, free beer and lunches. Uh, no, they don't. No, um, they they actually. They, oh they no, they turn, turn it. Sorry, down. they turn it down. Yeah, that's right. That's how they knew they, they were serious. Brought, yeah, they get brought back in because they find the farmer who was killed. Oh, up, and all up the in the telephone yeah. pole. That's right. Or Edgar. up on the cell tower. Old Edgar. Oh, that guy too. Yeah, the old man first, and then the next time they try and leave, they find the farmer and all his sheep all killed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's really how this movie goes, right? Like one by one, we just. Like, we don't even, we don't see the worms for a long time. They do kind of do a Jaws type thing where it's just like, they start showing you the victims and then they show you like a little bit of the ground trembling and, but they don't show you like what happens other than like a few bloody helmets on uh, like interstate workers for a bit. Yeah. I do like the Jaws comparison, by the way, though. And because, and one of the things that that brings up, which is just something that I'm personally a sucker for in movies all the time is the POV shots. Like anytime they've got mm-hmm. like a creature, so it's like you see it in Jaws. Uh, I love the way they do it in Puppet Master. The way uh, they're and and it's it's awesome too because when you know about filmmaking, like it's twofold because most of the time it's done with financial considerations, right? Or because it's like okay, it's gonna cost us a lot to have a puppet, you know, run across the living room, and we've got two hundred thousand dollars to make this whole movie. So let's just do a POV shot really low to the ground, run around, put some footsteps on there, saves you a grip of cash. And again, personally, like I always enjoy it. Why not throw yeah. it in there? And so it's like in the same way where the way they introduce it is the the geologist is doing her little thing with the um, uh, with whatever her instrumentation is. And then we get that POV shot from, you know, supposedly underground or whatever, where when she's getting in her truck and it like goes up to her. I think we even get a little screech right at the end, right before she's like stepping in the truck. Yeah. Not enough for her to notice. She has no idea what's going on. <laughs> Oblivious, man. And, and that does also play into the the myth of the Mongolian death worm, that they are sneaky predators and yep. they do try and sneak up on, on their prey and, and strike and they're less confrontational than we might be led to believe later on in the movie. Mm. Right. And, you know, I think that the so the other thing that this movie gets really right as far as like close to the myth is the fact that these things are attracted to sound or vibration and that they, they also create vibration. And now <laughs> it's it's funny because when I say get right about the myth, uh that that part is from the 92-93 expedition where they were trying to attract it in the same way that the worms are attracted in Dune, uh, which I'm sure this takes heavy inspiration from Dune. It has yeah. to. But like uh, Ivan Mackerel, the guy who went into Mongolia twice, I believe, to find it. The, the first time they used like a rhythmic thumping machine to try and attract the worm to come. So it like technically matches up with the myth, but that expedition was also after Tremors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's, so that's it's one like, of the tough things is, you know, that's part of the myth conceived from somebody trying to find it, but was ultimately unsuccessful. And like, if you, you date back to, I believe the myth, some of the stuff we found was early 1900s. Like there isn't a ton about earlier. Migration. Yeah. So yeah, there is earlier than that. Cause it's, it's in, it's been in Mongolian mythology for a while. The other thing that I thought, was interesting. So tre- the tremor worms tend to, it looks like they eat their prey whole or like leave just a head or, or, you know, fuck with you until you die. 
you know, they're they're vicious little bastards. But the Mongolian death worm, I don't think we really ever saw anything about them actually eating the prey. They just like shocked somebody to death or like spit acid at them. And it seemed more like a self-defense. It's not like otherwise, how would people know, right, if they weren't finding the corpses? Yeah, I think that's it's interesting because part of the mythology is them being sneaky predators. And if, you know, outside of humans, there aren't many predators that hunt just for fun. Um, they they hunt for food. There's, there's a reason behind it. So um, unless there is some kind of threat for the Mongolian death worms, and I know we've covered this ad nauseum in our, our episode on that, if you haven't listen to it go back and listen to it it's as ashton said kind of a boring myth but we had, we had some good bright spots in there um but unless you're in their territory maybe and the the thing about the graboids in this was they had a, a set path where you could see them coming towards the town of perfection and having these kill spots along the way it wasn't like they had a set amount of territory they were on the way yeah and that's one thing that the movie really doesn't like go into too much is kind of the origins of these creatures. I think there's like one or two throwaway lines about it or something that they throw in there real quick, but, um, but that's not found until tremors five. <laughs> See, <laughs> yeah, they were right. setting up, they knew they had gold, dude. They were like, Hey, we got to hold back some of our secrets, man, because this is at least a trilogy, at least, yeah. at least a trilogy. <laughs> Did they even like, um, I can't remember if I was I was wishing this was there in my head or if it was actually in the movie. Did they say something about like uh, blasting operations or something like that had had awoken these creatures? Like why they hadn't been there before? I think they or they just show up randomly. Yeah, I think. Well, I think it was one of those things where like they probably went through the whole script, realized they never addressed it, and so they're like, okay, well, let's just throw in this one line real quick here about uh, oh, I, some blasting must have attracted them, but like. You know, uh, and and I think maybe at one point someone brings up like, were they dormant or did they come from space? But it's never really explored or examined. It was like enough to like address the studio producers notes and get the thing done. Right. Yep. And then I think the other thing, Ashton, just on Mongolian deathworms potentially eating people, just keep in mind is, you know, they're. The deathworms themselves in in mythology are the length of them or the width of like a. A man's arm. A man's arm. Like, and not a whole Kogan's arm. Big. But as we as we determined again in that episode, a Tyler Mitchell's arm, which is great for a Tyler podcasting. Mitchell's arm. But like, you know, <laughs> like a normal, you know, think of like Hugh Jackman. Like, and so that would be hard for something like that to eat. You know, it would have to tear chunks out and then ingest it like that. But it's not, you know. Yeah, they're actually more the size of the tongues. Like when I saw exactly. like the... I had a note. So, you know, like when I saw the little tongues come out at first, I had forgotten that there was like, I was like, oh, are these the, are they baby worms? And I'd forgotten that they were like actually in the mouth, kind of like alien. Uh, so for those who haven't seen Tremors, uh, these big long worms under the ground, they kind of have like a, a beak that opens up like the sarlacc and then like four little uh, worms also with mouths come out of that mouth. Very similar. And it looked very similar to alien yeah. in a lot of ways, actually, which alien was uh 78. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, so somewhere around there. So like this is, they 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 like them some alien, <laughs> uh, but the the tongues are actually the size of what a uh, Mongolian deathworm would be like, and I guess like that takes us pretty much to their first encounter where they you know where they where they kill their their first graboid, where they're being chased through the desert and like figure out that it's attracted to to movement on the sand and I don't know I thought that was a pretty fun scene. Yeah, well, and before that scene. 
before that scene, yeah, too. Yeah, the pole vaulting. Yeah, the pole Go vaulting ahead, was awesome. Let's let's get to that in a minute though, because one of the one of the things I want to talk about is like uh the scene right before that. Like right before they actually get into the graboid with the couple. The couple that's camping. Oh, with the car. Yeah. I had almost forgotten. That so was that was a, a good one. brilliant scene, man. Like I actually like 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 reference this scene a lot. Like this is because let's be honest. I mean, I think this movie might have been made for ten million dollars, right? It was a super low budget movie. Uh, it di- I think it ended up grossing fourteen at the box office, so it kind of cut about even after marketing. But then it caught a huge, uh, a huge audience uh, on video at the time, not even streaming or DVD, like straight VHS status. That's how far we're going back here. Um, and so it made a lot of money there. That scene is a very effective demonstration of how you can achieve results beyond what you had to work with, right? Like that's the type of scene where that could be in an 80 to hundred million dollar horror movie. And there could be a lot more going on, but just the tension of the scene, the way that they play it out, uh, the way that they, you know, use the, 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 the moot, the natural, you know, cool. Uh, I don't know how technical I want to get, but like 5,000 K lighting to give it that cool moonlight effect. Um, and then, you know, where the husband, like, gets jerked underneath, right? And then he gets swallowed underneath and then we get the POV shot chasing the girl into her car. And then they do something that's really effective where she closes all the doors, but the radio's still playing. And so it's just completely silent. She's trapped in this station wagon. You're hearing some like country music play. Everything's silent. You know, the camera's pushing in and then all of a sudden you get the big like kajunk. And then that's when it starts like bringing the car into the ground. Um, and the way that it pulls it in and then the windows shatter and all of the sand comes pouring in, like this is really effective filmmaking. This is not just let's slap a wide shot and show the car just, you know, go underneath like that's extracting the drama and suspense with very little. And I'm always, always impressed. Like if you want to see how to make a really effective, tense horror scene that looks like it and looks and feels like it cost way more money than it did use that scene as a template. Yep. No, I totally agree. And that was one of the scenes that ended up being way more brutal than I expected. Cause she's like begging to get her husband back as he's being pulled under the ground by a worm. Yeah. It's yeah. She's it like clawing like, at it. And, it, and then, then like, the thing Jesus. shoots back up and is like, <sighs> And that's kind of like when we get the first actual, I think, look at it clearly, the little tongue thing. It hasn't like the bigger part hasn't come out yet, but we see that tongue. Yeah. So that scene was like it was way more brutal than I expected. And the other thing I didn't realize was that this was a PG-13 movie because there's a lot of worm gore (laughs) in it. And uh, but there's there's never actually a lot of human blood. And I'm guessing that's how they got away with it. Yeah. And it's a fact too. I think they like totally did that thing where they go to the butcher and they're like, we'll take all the entrails you can't sell. For pennies on yeah, the dollar, Yeah, I want to know what they made that out of because they just spray people with it. It's like the Nickelodeon <laughs> slime, but worse. Yeah, but no, you can tell there's definite like there's definitely fatty tissue in there, definitely. But as like the first real, so that that's the first real kill in the movie that we actually see on screen, and it's it's kind of nuts. And then they're there the next day, uh, look at they're they're looking for these people, and then they end up like digging up the bumper of the car yeah. and realizing that they it's hear vertical. The radio, yeah. yeah. Which, which plays back into what Jason had said just a little earlier about how effective that tool is. Yeah, 100%. Because it's like, it, you, you can tell that like they get really spooked and then it does set up that scene so much more, which is where they have their first fight and they, they find the big worm. Like the, the well, the actual, like, the actual graboid. And uh, I, I just want to say, so they, they end up, 
managing to escape it partially with a pole vaulting. And I just want to say this is the second time a high school sport has become invaluable in a 90s sci-fi film. And the second one was, of course, uh, Jurassic Park 2 with gymnastics, which ends up saving them from the Raptors. And I've always said that that movie had a lot of gymnastics to get out of its system. And I'm just I'm happy to see that another movie was like, you know what? I pole vaulted. It, it's fucking useful. <laughs> and they, they, they got it in there. I, I appreciate I it. I actually, to this day, have only seen The Lost World once. And, and I thought it was just like the biggest piece of hot garbage. Like, I don't know if you like that movie or not, but I just, but, and, but it's, it's garbage, but I do like it. It's garbage. I like, but to, okay. So first thing I didn't like the book. Uh, I actually straight, oh, the, the books, horrible. I straight DNF oh. that book. Like I tried going back to it like a couple of years ago. It was just like, Nope, not for me. But, um, the one thing that I will absolutely give the lost world credit for, and I can't believe that of all people, Spielberg is the one to make, have made this decision it's the only movie that ever had the balls to kill the dog. No movie ever kills the dog. The dog always gets saved at the last minute and Lost World, T-Rex straight ate that dog. And I gave it credit. Yeah, that, that was like, and that was a cute fluffy <laughs> dog too. They really, they, they straight murdered that. Yeah. Oh, and I guess Alien 3, they killed the dog in Alien 3 too. I'm poking holes and, in my own theory and, here. Yeah, I mean, they impregnated the yeah. dog. I'm saying though, I am legend was that was a heart wrenching yeah. scene. Uh, but we're getting a little <laughs> off track. Yeah, I, I think we did skip um, the construction workers and where he gets the graboid tongue stuck on yeah. his axle and like tears it off and like that's where they think the mm-hmm. monster is. That's right, and that's um, when they first sell it to Tang, right? <laughs> like they sell. Well, he wants five bucks. They want twenty, and they negotiate on yeah. fifteen. Yeah, so they get fifteen bucks for this uh, this this graboid tongue that is wrapped around their axle that they then think is the uh, that they then think is the creature. And I thought that was actually so that was a point I made too. I couldn't remember where it fell in the movie because it's not how my mind works. Uh, <laughs> but like uh, that is th- this movie really does the embodiment of the American cryptid well because almost every American cryptid that's not from Native American origin was built out of making a buck. <laughs> and I think that like Tang perfectly embodies that spirit of like, I am going to photograph this corpse. I'm going to get people to come from miles to pay to see it. Like that is what the hodag is. That is what the Mothman is. <laughs> I mean, to some extent it's what Bigfoot has become, right? Like, I mean the jackalope to an extent, they sell hunting license for the jackalope. Yeah. 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 And, and leprechauns, right? They have those leprechaun hunts too. I mean, that's born out of mythology. So it's not really an American cryptid, but the Americanized version of it, I think, is like always centered around making a buck. So I was like, points points to tremors for understanding how the American mind works. <laughs> and I think that also plays into the whole concept of, like Jason had said, humanizing like every single character. They did a really good job of that in the first 20 minutes. You have the annoying high school kid who's just <laughs> annoying with a basketball. You've got kind of the shopkeeper who is always looking to make a buck no matter what. You've got the gun nuts in Reba McIntyre and her husband who are always asking about what kind of ammo they can buy. And it's just, they did a good job and they played into it. Throughout yeah, the dude. And that kid, Melvin had the most punchable face, by the way, dude, like they just oh, cast dude, that did. perfectly, which is why in my recasting, I want Skylar Gisende from Booksmart. Uh, <laughs> if you look him up, they look very similar and they both have very punchable faces. Yeah. And He's the rich kid, right? Look, that like has like the yacht party and stuff. Yeah. He was also in, um, there was a documentary about social media, the that was on Netflix that everybody's watching it was like I'm gonna delete my Twitter and my Facebook and then they got back on the it. Social mm-hmm. dilemma. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's one of the uh, the dramatizations in the social dilemma. He's the one that gets hooked on QAnon. Ah, uh, like 
or sorry, the, the QAnon equivalent of that movie. But so the other the other thing that I thought was impressive was they went straight to reptile slash snake monster. They never actually called it a worm. And that's something that with the Mongolian deathworm has always been a mischaracterization just because worms need moisture. And when they're living in these very, very dry climates, uh, it's led to believe that it's more of a snake or a reptile than it is a worm. So I thought that was kind of neat how they they didn't spend any time on on it being a worm. They just kind of went straight to boom, reptile. We figured it out. Let's. Yep. And I think that, you know, because, yeah, the, the Mongolian deathworm, one of the things it's purported to be is probably a sand boa. So that kind of, you know. At least they, they figured that out. Although, like, I don't know if they get it to graboid birth later on, but I I don't know if it, it feels like a live birther to me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> be. Hey, the other thing, I got to say, you know, I didn't expect Ford car batteries to be as strong <laughs> as that was. I just couldn't imagine leaving the lights on all night in a in a car in the 90s and it's still working in the night. Yep. Like, every now and then you have to decide, like, do do I want to adhere on the side of logic or do I want to stretch that for the sake of cinematic value? Because, again, we all liked that moment. Like, there there are certain things where it's just like, look, if you poke too many holes, yeah, it may not make sense, but it made for a good moment. Like, there's a very famous John Ford quote from the movie Stagecoach that he did. And, and just for anyone that doesn't know, like, the stagecoach gets stolen and these people have to make their way from the back to the front. People were like, hey, quick question, John. Why didn't the robbers... Just shoot the horses. Then the stagecoach would be done. Bam. Game over. His response? Because then I don't have a movie. And so I feel like this is very much one of those moments, right? Where it's like, look, we're, we're here for monsters. We're here for atmosphere. Let's give it that one. Yeah. I mean, if you try to poke too many holes in tremors, like, you will find them. Uh, but, I mean, it is. It's all about, like, just good worm smashing fun. And I think, like, you know, that gets us back to so the, the pole vaulting scene. I have it. The, the timeline is mixed up in my head. Is the pole vaulting scene also when they kill the first one? When they, they, they run it into the aqueduct or whatever that is? No, so that's so that's the second one. So I think I think the they I think they release so at first they think there's just the one. And I forget if by the end of it there's three or four. <clears throat> there's four, four total. total. Okay, four total. so the first one was the one where yeah, they're running it and he basically like uh you know, it runs into the, the concrete barrier. And then just starts like yeah, the oozing aqueduct blood, there and- which, by the way, kind of similar to uh, over easy eggs. Most of the time when I tell people, fuck you, I hear it in Kevin Bacon. Fuck you voice. It was a perfect <laughs> oh, thing. It looked like an over easy egg when it cracked on the aqueduct. Because <laughs> that's true, too. It also looked like an over easy egg. Yeah, and, I like that. and by uh, the way, that's their that's their PG-13 one use of the F-bomb. That's yeah. yeah. Yep. That was a this good use of it. Yeah. They also had a great line there when they were pulling these, uh, they, they, they run out of room. They're like, that means we're stuck. That pisses me off. <laughs> I loved that. I noticed that too. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a great one. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you want me to just act pissed off? He's like, no, the audience won't get it. You got to tell them you're pissed off. Okay. Yeah. You get to tell them you're mad. And then I love that. So like they, 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 they trick it into running into, uh, the aqueduct, which is actually kind of like, foreshadowing in yeah. a way right mm-hmm. for how they get out of the final the final writing. cowboy depends on how you want to look at it yeah that's a good point <laughs> maybe they were like uh work once but it's yeah. gonna work again you pay me how much to write this uh yeah no we're here we go let's go home yeah and then they uh they they they, they start immediately talking about how they're gonna winch it out and then they're like oh we can't winch it because it's gonna rip it in half like just like trying to figure out how they're gonna get this corpse out and make a bunch of money because i think that is when they think there's only one and then they they get back to town 
and they're all discussing like the name and all that kind of stuff. And I believe that's when they realize there's more. Uh, we get well. It's it's the college girl who's like, no, no, no. My seismology readings tell me there's three mm-hmm. more. Yep. Yeah. And then I love and as soon as they get back to town, to everybody's asking her. They're like, what is it? And I'm like, she's a fucking seismologist. <laughs> <laughs> and I think at one point she even says like, I'm a seismologist. I don't know. Like, <laughs> she says, why do you keep asking? Me? <laughs> why do you keep asking? Me? <laughs> And, and yeah, gosh. Uh, but you know what's funny, Ashton? You're back to your question you asked three to seven minutes ago, whenever it was. Uh, they were pole vaulting from the second worm or the second snake okay. monster creature or whatever. So I had these two these two mixed up in my head. <laughs> There's the aqueduct worm and then the pole vaulting worm. Yeah, where they, they get pull stuck off from the second off. one because they get trapped and they have to get back to the car. I forget exactly how they get rid Truck, of it. I, th- yeah. I think they defeat it later. Yeah, they they, they they do. The second the second worm is killed by the gun nuts oh, with the yeah, elephant yeah. gun because they can shoot inside its mouth. And then the final two are in kind of that last um, sprint to the finish. <laughs> yeah, with the hillbilly uh, but fishing. <laughs> but like going back to so when they're all like kind of holed up in the town and uh, the annoying kid is being the annoying kid. Like I I kind of wish like from from the beginning I was like you know what I hate this kid but they're not going to kill him. It's not that kind of movie. <laughs> And I kind of wish they had done... Have you guys seen A Quiet Place? Yeah. Yeah. A Quiet Place, they kill a kid fucking immediately. Yep. Let you know and where they let at. you know. They're like, no one is safe. Yep. You, you thought this like six-year-old was safe? Nah. Murdered. <laughs> like, and I appreciate when a movie sets that precedent for me so that I know nobody is safe. But in this one, I was like, ah, this kid's... He's going to get... He's going to get like, he didn't even get any comeuppance other than like warm guts on Yeah, no. And for a minute, it looked like the the little girl was going to get it too. There was that cool little moment where she's. The pogo stick girl. Like I really, cause that was. (laughs) They foreshadowed that for so long. She's always (laughs) on that goddamn pogo stick. And like, you're like, oh, I know this is a bad idea. Yeah, I know they long played that. Over 600 bounces in a row. (laughs) And they don't kill her mom either, which I thought was nice. Like they didn't even Bambi anybody. The, The only people they kill in this film are really like characters that are unrelated to one another uh, or they kill them both. Yeah. Well, they never, they never leave somebody by themselves. Well then Ashton. So, so let me ask you this. Cause this is an interesting uh, sort of question as, as uh, taking you out of the cryptid host for a moment. And as a writer, yeah. which is that, so there's been said that there's two types of writers. There's writers that love their characters so much that they can never kill them. And then there's writers that hate their characters and are glad to kill them. Do you find that, you are one of the other. Like, have you ever killed one of your characters? Uh, so without going into without spoilers, into you don't tell us spoilers. what it might be, but like, just if yeah. you have done it or not, and how did you feel oh, about 100%. it? Hundred percent. There is a character I love, and I murdered them. <laughs> and how and did you feel I about had, that? I had to write a whole lot of things to get them back. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's the thing. You loved them so much, you you had to get them back down the road. Maybe this writer is just one of those writers that can't kill his characters because he, he or she yeah, loves them I too much. I wonder if I could ever, like... I've wiped out villains permanently, but then I had to bring them back, too, because I like them too much. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's going to be hard. I have I have plans to kill characters I love eventually, but... oh. <laughs> that, that's an interesting point of like I do think that there is you know you talk about I think in the 90s especially there was the adherence to like the rules right of like you can't kill kids like there's there's certain things that you don't do mm. um, but I thought it being a horror movie that maybe they'd go off that a bit but they didn't really like they kind of stuck to the formula yeah. they didn't kill anybody unexpectedly um, it was really just like the B cast of characters that ate it one by one in increasingly gruesome ways like uh, the the shop owner 
gets like dragged around in the worm mouth for <laughs> like too much time. Like they let <laughs> Tang die for a long time. Correct. Yeah. Tang's really the only character they humanized that they killed to be fair. Cause it was the original farmer. It was the two construction workers. Yeah. True. The yeah, couple they, out they on the do farm. Not kill a lot of also people. in true nineties fashion, the only minority. So there you go. That is a good. That is a good point. <laughs> and he was the comic relief. So, yeah. like you know, they they really they covered their bases there. <laughs> and that speaks to this film, which which this is very much a by the numbers film, right? Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like it's a it's a really good by the numbers film. But this movie is not trying to subvert expectations. It's not trying to reinvent the genre. It's just like, hey, here is a really good version of this template of film. And, I, and it doesn't ever tries to be anything other than that. I super appreciate that. That's 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 what I aim for in writing. <laughs> I'm just like, these are the genres I love. I'm going to make that. Yeah, uh, the best <laughs> version of that genre or, you know, flavors yep. you know, of genre mixed together that I enjoy. In this case, comedy yep. and horror. Yeah, and I mean, I, th- I think that it's so it is true to that to the very end. I mean, like, uh, you know, we're skipping around a lot, but. You know, anybody who's listened to our episode on Harry and the Hendersons or God forbid Chupacabra territory, I'm really sorry about that one. John picked it. Uh, Or no, John picked picked another one. That is an. Oh my God. That's right. You picked another one and then we had to find one that was free. How dare you? We had that sci fi movie that we literally couldn't rent for less than like $100. We wanted to watch Guns of the Chupacabra. Right, which you can't rent for less than like $100. A space pirate comes down to Earth and has to hunt chupacabras for the. Space I mean, if a film isn't worth a hundred dollars, I don't. You know, I don't know which one. I don't know that's what. That's a it good is. point. Yeah, I it mean, was made for a hundred dollars. It should cost a hundred dollars to rent. <laughs> but so they, they eventually we get to this this big finale where they're all trying to leave the town uh, in the cat, and then the the graboids are so they. I should say they get they get a, a cat like a big bulldozer, which I thought was dumb because it was open air. And I was like, how is an open air vehicle going to do you any good, especially when it's moving slow? Uh, like, I know that they end the, the, the grab boys end up like creating a trap that puts the cat in a sand pit. But also, like, it's an open air vehicle that moves slowly. And these things have been shown to move fast and like have reach. So I'm kind of I was I was surprised that's where it went. But, you know, sure. And they also said they're like, it, they can't sink the cat, but clearly they could. So <laughs> so just talking about the open air thing, I, I want to touch on that because like when they were on the rocks before they pull vaulted, like they saw the extent of how far the worms could actually reach. So like, yeah, I mean, the cat's five, six feet up and then it's like a bull. So like, I, I could, I don't know. I, I disagree. Well, it's also, yeah. I and I guess like the only armored piece is the face. On the graboids. Everything else is pretty soft. Well, let's also acknowledge, though, that they're pretty much at a lack of options at that point. I mean, this yeah, is a town a of 14. There's five houses in the entire town. The biggest building is the shop that's just been demolished. I mean, you work with what you got. Yeah, and they like the, the, the things are eating the foundation out from underneath the buildings. Yeah, I guess they were in pretty dire straits. Even the gun nuts had to come with. Yeah, well, and, that, and, and you bring up the, the point, and that was the reason that they were forced into making that play, which is that... So, you know, there's kind of a cat and mouse thing that develops where, you know, the tremor creature is supposedly learning, you know, from them and it kind of figures out what they're doing and it's trying to counter. And yeah, you know, that kind of that kind of stretches a little bit because, I mean, you know, 
but obvious reasons. But the point is that like the reason they end up doing that is because at this point, the creatures have figured out that they are hiding or they're able to stay on top of the roofs to avoid them. So they're starting to demolish the foundations of all of the buildings. And so one by, you know, they, they first start with the store and I think they, they pretty much almost successfully take that down. So, you know, it's kind of the thing is like, okay, we can sit here and bounce from house to house for the next three hours and find ourselves in the same position. Uh, or we can try to get the hell out of here. Right. And to their credit, they do come up with the scheme to like, you know, use the bombs or whatever as distractions from the, the couple, the, that's Raven right yeah, the couple makes a bunch of pipe dude. bombs that come in handy yeah yeah i thought that yeah so you're right and i do they do set up well that the the creatures do have learning capabilities too that they are that they're smart predators and that kind of ties in well to how they kill the the third one which is with the hillbilly fishing where it was surprising to me that it took them that long to think of fishing with pipe bombs where they essentially like drag a pipe bomb across the ground wait for the creature to eat it and then blow it up uh, and then, but by the time they get to the second one, it has already learned like, nope, shouldn't eat pipe bombs <laughs> and spits it with like the most amazing Hail Mary throw that happens to say, land it in their the pipe rabble. bomb. Like, like Just, they, it shoots a pipe bomb in the air and it lands in their, their other stash of pipe bombs. I don't know the Graboid language, but I'm fairly certain he, he yelled, yelled Kobe. Kobe. Yeah. Even it was like five years too early. Yeah, that's the one word we know in Graboid is Kobe. Because uh, damn, yeah, he hit that from range and really fucked him over and kind of put him in a situation where Kevin Bacon has to make his big uh, his big sacrifice play. I mean, he already made one. He made the first the first sacrifice play running for the the cat tractor when he uh, he elbows. Oh, yeah, I can't remember his Earl. Yep, Earl Valen Earl. Yeah, he elbow he elbows Earl and runs away, but. Yeah, and uh, and then they, they they rerun the play from the first Aqueduct, where he uh, he he taros this this tremor worm off a cliff, and it runs out the side of the cliff and just falls thousands of feet to its death. And he yells, "Can you fly?" <laughs> <laughs> like that's one thing they had a lot of good opportunities for one-liners in this movie, and they didn't use them. Uh, <laughs> like, what do you mean? They come through the floor. <laughs> they cover the. They're how many times does ground. Kevin Bacon they're have to yell that they're under the ground? ground? Because clearly he has to yell to people that they're under the ground like a hundred times. This movie, and people <laughs> still don't get it. He's like they're under the fucking ground. Well, you already said the the, the most epic line, which is that pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> so I mean, just you know, once you once you uh, once you put that one out there, you just can't can't compete. Yeah, thought it was also interesting that like. They have a mining pick that Kevin Bacon swings at one point, um, and it, it pierces their their armor no problem, but a bunch of bullets don't. And then, like, there's another point where an elephant gun won't pierce a bullet, but they give Kevin Bacon an Uzi firing like small pistol rounds, and like, yeah, that'll that'll make a difference. <laughs> I was also just, just surprised they had an Uzi. Like, like, here you go, Kevin Bacon, have this Uzi. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then just the last thing at one point. The college girl has barbed wire wrapped around her legs. Oh, yeah. And then, like, it drags her with the barbed wire. And then the next scene, it's just like, oh, she's just got a couple scratches. It's like, <laughs> no, that would, like, destroy that all That was the because the filmmakers wanted her to take her pants yep. off. Um, they I, they needed to shoehorn that in. Like, they had what to find a way to get the intern reason. to take their pants off. <laughs> you know what? That's And it's so funny, too, because I feel like there's... 
if you like stop and really look at this movie, like you can see all the reverse engineering that went into it. Right. They're like, ah, how are we going to get a bunch of guns over there? Ah, gun toting couple. Right. Ah, how are we going to get this chick's pants off? Ah, she gets caught in barbed wire. Like you can just see so much of that throughout if you look close enough. And that's definitely playing into that horror comedy trope, too, which is like, of course. And like, I love that that's the moment where Kevin Bacon and her kind of like fall for one another is when he pulls he pulls her out of the barbed wire and her pants come off. And they're like, you know what? This is a love story after all. <laughs> I guess you don't have to be blonde anymore. Huh? I don't know why, but I see you, you know, in a new it's, light. It's still better than Chupacabra Territory, which was a 90 minute film to get the writer and director to have fake sex with the one female in it. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, um, that was a very uncomfortable scene. That was like very clearly the entire reason they made that movie. <laughs> Ashton, she needed stimulation. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. They're like, we'll disguise it as a Chupacabra movie for 80 minutes. Chick won't even know. <laughs> yeah. God, uh, please. If you, if you ever feel like watching Chupacabra territory, just go listen to our episode instead. It's shorter. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, uh, it's all probably better beats. for your health. It's not <laughs> yeah. shorter by much, though, to be honest. <laughs> like, we probably came in at about an hour, and that movie is, I think, an hour and 15. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, I mean, that's Tremors. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we've, we've jumped around, but that, that is Tremors. That's, that's the they movie made, Tremors. They made seven of them. They made seven of those season. movies. Uh, God, I have the titles here because I thought they were fantastic. Uh, Tremors 2, Aftershocks. Tremors 3, Back to Perfection. Uh, Tremors 4, The Legend Begins, Tremors 5, Bloodlines, Tremors 6, A Cold Day in Hell, and then Tremors 7, Shrieker Island. Shrieker Island. Uh, that was that's it. nice. That was last year. That was 2020. Uh, that's that choice. That was a direct-to-Netflix movie, wasn't it? Was it Netflix, or did it go to, like, one of the other, like, horror streaming services, like, mm. where they were going to put Shutter the uh, or Critters like that. remake? I'm fairly certain it was on Netflix. Oh, um, well, I might have to go check it out. Yeah, then, definitely. To be honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and one of them's like, I think it's what, like five is like a prequel or something, right? Like, yeah, they, they go, but isn't there like, is it the, is that the one that like, isn't there an old West? Yeah, that's Tremors? what I was saying. Like there's an old West prequel. It's four or five. If I remember from looking at they it, took the back to the future route. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. and then I think, so, and then I, I, and then I think it was what, maybe like four or something. They actually start introducing like, I didn't see any of them, but I was just reading that they introduced like a, an evolution of the graboid or something like that. There's like a new monster or something. Yep. They finally start to like justify it. I think it's, it's kind of the same path that alien took. Honestly, is the oh, longer yeah. that the alien movies the round, the more they had to build mythology around yeah. them. Cause the first movie is just like, I don't know. There's these eggs <laughs> and, uh, and they, they put bad things in your stomach and then they eat you. <laughs> <laughs> and then like slowly, like, and then you get to Prometheus and it's the one redeeming feature of that movie in my opinion. But like, ugh. Wait, what about Prometheus? Because it was it was Covenant where it's like, oh, okay, the guy left over from Prometheus like manufactured these things. No, I haven't watched Covenant. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. It's either. on my list. It's it's actually pretty. Is good. it? I, I so avoided it forever. The, the new Predator is on my list too. Yeah, it's just but. one of those things where I love the Aliens franchise, but then like you know they tell you it's garbage. You're like, ah, I don't want to tarnish it. Like I like I don't know about you guys. I hate the fourth one, Resurrection, so much. Yep. So much. Resurrection's real trash. Even three was pretty, like, three is good for what it is. Two is the best, in my opinion, but. Two is so, t- I like- two is the best. There are two different movies. The first one is a horror film, and the second one is an action movie. And both of yeah, them are great versions of those genres of films. It's almost not even fair to compare them. That's a good point. That's fair. Well, well, two is like a war yeah. action movie, too. Like, it's not just like Rambo. It's like. Space Marines. Yeah. 
Yeah, apocalypse <laughs> or something. It's game over, man. It's game over. But yeah, no, I, I liked Covenant. I, I thought it was worth watching. Cool. Um, <clears throat> but what Jimmy did you Powers think of Tremors, John? Where was your final score on Tremors? You know, I thought Tremors was a fun and entertaining romp through the 90s. Um, Kevin Bacon looked young as fuck. <laughs> it was weird seeing him in that. He just looks with, weird like, in general, hair. man. He's got a weird um, face. And then it was really weird seeing Reba McIntyre as well. Um, but, you know, I liked it. I, I had fun with it. I knew that I was going in expecting kind of a popcorn film, and it was entertaining. Yeah. Well, what about you, Jason? How, how do you feel about Tremors this watch around? Yeah, so, I mean, it was definitely one of those things where more of the issues and, you know, the... It, you could see a lot of like the split seams more so than, you know, when you're younger and you kind of just don't look as closely at these matters. So I definitely like recognized a couple more issues than I did before, but it's still just a fun movie. And it's one of those it's one of those nostalgia films, right? It's 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 those films that we see when we're 12 to 15 that we're just always going to love forever for the rest of our lives because it was, you know, the first time we were exposed to that style of that story or film or what have you. So it was new to us, you know, it was a brand new experience. So again, me, someone who was uh, terrified of horror, uh, even scared of gremlins at the time, which since is now like my favorite movie. And I'm sure there's some Freudian shit there, but yeah. So like, you know, because (laughs) that was the one horror movie that I felt comfortable going back to over and over again, like uh, that's, it's always going to have a place in my heart. I'll give it four and a half stars. It, I can't say it's a five star wow. film. And if I had just seen it for the first time this last week or so, I don't know. It's probably accurate to give it three and a half to three and three quarters. But I just, again, it's yep. near and dear to my heart. So it's getting like an artificial, like full star bump, four and a half. And, and I get know. it, dude. That's how I feel about Man on Fire. <laughs> And that has like completely changed the way I view Denzel Washington. So completely agree. Ashton, what about you? How do you feel about that? So I, I I really, I really like it for what it is. Yeah. It does have a lot of issues. I am always partial to films that age pretty well and don't have like a ton of problematic content in them now. Like (laughs) Tremors is Tremors is pretty good, but you look back at some films from the nineties, like there's a lot of problems in them that (laughs) you're like, Ooh, wouldn't fly. Tremors would probably still fly today. Uh, you got to give John Carpenter's The Thing a big pat on the back, both visually and just content story-wise. That's So that's the other thing that kind of gets me is the films surrounding Tremors that were coming out at this time. Like, yeah, so it, it's uh, two years before Jurassic Park, right? And so, but and that's, that's a watershed moment where everything changes. But even the other films that are coming out before this, I think, look better. Um, and I guess it is a reflection that Tremors is probably a B movie. Um, so that, that in mind, like 3.5, I think seems pretty fair. Like for the budget it's on, it does what it has to do. It's very fun. And like, I think it's worth watching if you like sci-fi or if you like, you know, you like cryptids or weird shit. It's not, it's definitely not true to the myth at all. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even spit acid. Yeah. It's no acid. There's no electric shocks through the ground. But, uh, you know, I think it is funny that this movie has intertwined itself with the Mongolian deathworm myth. Like when you look at the people who go looking for the Mongolian deathworm, like a lot of them are probably inspired by tremors. We know they're inspired by Dune as well. Yeah. Um, so it's like, 
it, in a sense, it is the way that this movie has now become. Well, and even even part even, of that even like the changes that they made to the mythology, like going back to like our sort of like you know reverse engineering the film. Like I'm sure they started with the Mongolian. I remember they're like, okay, you know, we can do the burrowing, we can do the this and the that, having a real hard time with the spitting acid part. Uh, that's costing <laughs> us way more and we haven't figured out. So we're just going to drop that and we can go ahead and keep the rest. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And the Mongolian death room is not really like a, um, suspenseful myth because it kills people instantly. That's the whole thing is it's supposed to be like instantaneous death. And it's like, well, that's not interesting. Uh, like, that's not, it's not a very interesting myth for everybody, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. It's fun. I, I recommend it. Yeah. And, uh, it's definitely, Look, it's no Harry and the Hendersons. Okay, <laughs> nothing, nothing is Harry and the Hendersons, but it's, it's, it's so much better than Chupacabra territory. Um, and with that, I, I want to, I wanted to close with, um, I don't know, what, what do you guys think are some other good cryptid movies that we could do for cryptid cinema, um, like the that are based on because there's, we've talked about doing the man who killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. I have some pretty strong opinions about that movie. Uh, so I think that that's, that'd be an interesting one to do, but I don't know, like there, there's just a lot of B movie content out there. Yeah. So, so my thing is I'm just not, uh, I'm sure as a lot of your listeners picked up, I'm not the cryptids guy, I'm the movie guy. Right. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, I want to say that I think there might be a chance that this movie, have you guys ever heard of a movie called Bubba Hotep? Yeah, yeah, believe, yeah, yeah, with uh, Bruce. Uh, yeah, yeah, where he plays, and then I think it's, and then it's Ozzy Smith thinks he's like the reincarnation, reincarnation of JFK, and Ozzy Smith being yeah, an old black and, uh, dude. Bruce Campbell plays Elvis. Yeah, Is that and right? then yeah, and then uh, uh, yeah, Bruce Campbell thinks he's Elvis, and they live in a retirement home, and I forget if it's a spirit or a cryptid. It might be, but like kind of like uh, t- haunts them or something. Let's double check that. There might be something there. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm always down to watch Boba Hotep, so that, that's a good one. I wonder if there's a good Wendigo movie out there. That makes me wonder, because um, Wendigos are pretty good possession stuff. You know, uh, I mean, so you you kind of put it, that, so when you oh, ask for a Antlers. good Wendigo movie, that's the problem. Now, I know for a fact there's a ton of cryptid movies out there, but they're all like sci-fi level shit. They're all direct to DVD, oh, direct great, to dude. TV. Yeah. So finding <laughs> like a... Butter. Finding like a good, you know, studio production level cryptid movie might pose a challenge. Yeah, there was a movie that was going to come out last year. I think it got pushed. Uh, Antlers. Hmm. Do you remember seeing the trailer for that, John? Or anybody? Yeah. It's like it's it's a Wendigo film. It's a it's a movie about a little kid who keeps a Wendigo fed oh. and like and and keeps it like like leads people to it. It looks pretty good. So are there any like dragon cryptids, by the way? Are there any sort of dragon-inspired mm-hmm. cryptids? I only ask. I mean, uh, people think dragons still exist. The that, so they are kind of a cryptid in that sense. The hodag, yeah. the hodag is like a dragon kind of. There's this like movie that like I've always like wanted to see called Q the Winged Serpent, and it's this giant like flying serpent dragon thing. And I'm just wondering if there's something there. There's also mm-hmm. a movie called Maybe. Deep Star Six that features like it's like an abyss ripoff. So again, but I, I'm just, I'm not sure if these are more aliens or monsters or cryptids. I'm not yeah, as we've schooled. done it all. We've done aliens on here. All right. Well, so if there's, if there's <laughs> the episode we had to delete, but we, we definitely did it. <laughs> so if there's leeway on like, you know, the, the cryptid classification, I think we can find something for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do Wendigos, Pet Cemetery death or technically, um, yeah, I think that counts. Yep. 
Um, yeah. But I mean, you don't ever see the Wendigo. The Wendigo is a, it, it's the, very brief. I mean, it'd be like if we watched Pirates of the Caribbean to watch the Kraken. <laughs> There's an idea, John. We should do that. Perfect. We should watch two and three back to back and do a three hour episode mm. on it. Yep. Movie marathon. It's all you guys. Uh, listeners, if you guys have any ideas, let us know. Uh, hit us up Instagram, Twitter. You know where we're at. Um, Jason. Yes, sir. Tell everybody about your podcast and where they can find more of you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my podcast is called Esoterica Cinema. And uh, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, at Esoterica Cinema. I do that with my co-host Ryan Siebold, and we get way granular and spend, you know, just as long as the movie is talking about it. So we've got long-ass episodes about films you probably haven't seen. So we are uh, out there for approximately 0.03% of uh, people that would enjoy the podcast, but those 0.03% we think you're going to love us. We also do uh, some comedy sketches, actually. So one of the things that we do is we write and perform these original comedy sketches centered around either, uh, one of the films that we've reviewed. Sometimes we review one film, sometimes we look at two. So it's basically looking really closely at movies, but with a lighthearted approach and with these original comedy sketches. So, uh, you know, not every film discussion program has to be an NPR thing, right? Like... Okay, we're here to discuss uh, Charlie Kaufman's latest work. Like, that's every single movie podcast you listen to. So we wanted to bring some energy and life to the format. So Esoterica Cinema uh, on Apple, Spotify, pretty much all the streaming platforms. Ashton, you've been on an episode of that, right? I was about to say, yeah, yeah I, I recommend the episode that I'm in, obviously. <laughs> we talk about Guns Akimbo. Guns Akimbo uh, was a great And I really episode. like uh, the... The episode with, uh, so I, I mean, the first one with, I think the first one had Aguirre, right? Yeah. So the first one was Aguirre and Adaptation. Yeah. So Aguirre and Adaptation is great. The one about the lobster is great as well. And then of course there's, I think that's the different one from the lighthouse too. Yeah. Those are, those are some of my favorites. So check them out. Well, hey, folks, it's me, Ashton, again, uh, here at the end of the podcast. You know, I I had a ton of fun watching Tremors. It was a trip down memory lane. Look, I'm sorry if I I jumped around and didn't really explain the narrative very well. Uh, You know, this is why Jason runs the film podcast and not me, but I really do enjoy doing our Cinema Decrypted episodes, and I hope you do, too. If you don't, though, by all means, please let us know. Be like, hey, stop doing Cinema Decrypted, because it's it's the only way that we're going to know to stop doing it. We really do value your feedback. Uh, If you have any movies you want us to check out or if you have any cryptids you want us to look into like hit us up on instagram cryptids decrypted twitter at cast decrypted or send us an email if you're old-fashioned cryptids decrypted at gmail.com yeah but thank you for listening uh, you all really make this worth doing and make it a hell of a whole lot of fun and yeah you know i mean we're, we're gonna keep doing it as long as you keep liking it so uh yeah have a good one stay safe I'll, I, I, I don't know when I'll talk to you next few weeks, few months. Who knows? Who knows? Our release schedule is very inconsistent because most of us have other jobs. But, you know, we love you. Bye. <laughs>